I'm going to just read from two portions, and uh, I'm just going to give like a, a synopsis, a brief overall uh, time here with the word before uh, I, be I believe that God would have us to go into it as he leads uh, in a more a deeper way. But as we, as we begin to look for this, uh, uh, as I begin to look for these scriptures, um, there's a couple of things, two very important things, and we're going to get into these in, 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 in some form in, in detail. But all, in the, in, all through the Word of God, there are two seeds, two seeds. Both came from women, there's, but there's two seeds in, in the Bible. And out of those two seeds, those two different seeds, and we'll get specific about it at a certain time, out of those two seeds came two heads. And we as believers, we either function in one seed, and, and that will be the result of our headship, or we function in Christ. And that's the difference between the fact that we have been, when we received Christ, we were positioned in him. And in that position, again, sin does not touch that relationship, can't. It cannot touch it because our sin, our old sin nature has been crucified in Romans 6, 1 through 6. And all of our sins, all of ours that are in Christ have been paid for. So that's why sin can't touch it. But what sin can do is, for the believer is affect their experiential relationship and growth with Christ. It does touch that. And that's why it's so very, very, very important. And I'm very thankful for all the truths that were brought back during the you know, the Reformation period where they would reform truths again. But what happened was they missed the whole thing, foundational, positional, experiential growth truths. So for them to hear, if they're only in the reformed so-called theology, which is very short of what we have in Christ, and the person of Christ and what he's accomplished, when they hear things differently, they don't understand them because they've never been taught. And they, they're like, what? And that's why, and the reason is, is because there's no foundational truth. Because if you, you and I don't understand positional truth, what we've been taken out of, we, are, we have in us, in Romans 8, 9, the flesh is still in us, but we're not of it. Another thing we really, God has really put on my heart too, is just how there's so much meaning, there's so much content in words, and we take them, we can take them lightly. We can take them lightly, but the fact of the matter is, there is so much, there's meaning in every single word and language. There, there truly is. And it makes it very important for us as we understand these things. So again, there's two seeds, right? The seed of the woman who in Genesis 3, 1 through 6, fell. And then the whole sin nature was brought out. That's the seed of the first woman. The seed of the second woman is the Virgin Mary. And that's why the Holy Spirit bypassed anything of the fallen nature, by, completely bypassed anything of the fallen nature 
And, and that's why in Luke 1, verse 35, it says that holy one that will be born of you will be called the son of the highest. So it bypasses. So you, we even know with medical science how the, the blood of the baby is separate from the mother's. But in this sense, it's spiritual. So we have two seeds, and out of that come two heads. And we can, at any point, if without submission to Christ, or rebelliously, we're all learning and growing in that, or we could do it ignorantly and not know these things and function under the wrong head. Okay, But there's growth in grace, and that's what, thank God for grace for all of us, and we're growing in it. So there's that principle, the two seeds and the two heads, the two seeds and two heads. Now, for us in Christ, this, and we won't get into these words specifically this morning, but that's what makes the fact to come to hear the word and to be admonished. And admonition is a, is a great thing, admonition, nuthatuil, and literally it means to put into our mind, and God is putting into our mind who we are in Christ, who the person of Christ in glorifying him and blessing us has done and what he's accomplished. And it's very, very important for us to, for, you know, for us to understand those things. So he's putting sense into our heads. I remember talking with someone just recently. In John 3, 27, it says, Can a man receive anything except to come from heaven? Could we receive a thing? And Jesus there, when he was speaking, was speaking of himself. He had to come from heaven. The reason he had to come from heaven is there was no way that any of us in a fallen, ruined state could go there. We couldn't get there. The gap was, was just too huge. But he came. He had to come from heaven in John 3, verse 27. Now, then it says this in John 3, 30. He must increase. That's an emphatic in the original. He must increase. But, but, and that's a separation. I must what? Decrease. It's one thing to learn, and we do need to have this foundationally set about who we are in Christ. The increase that we have in Jesus Christ, all of us, we have this great increase. The moment we received him, he came into us in all the fullness of who he is and what he accomplished for each of us individually. That's the increase. And so many times we love to hear those truths. But just like in the Reformation, they fall short of the positional, experiential growth truths that are necessary and so necessary for us to have fellowship in our experience based upon our position in Christ. And it makes it very, 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 very important, very emphatic. So it's one thing, I, we want to hear all that, but if I don't know about the decrease, if, I, if that doesn't happen, how can I function in the increase? This is where the admonition of the word, this is what makes it so very necessary. And we can be so thankful that we have the finished work, glory of Jesus Christ that he accomplished on the cross. And what did the cross do? What he did on the cross, by the way, wasn't so much what the cross did. It's what he accomplished on it. What he did was he separated the world from us, 
Listen, honestly, how do I know about the world without language? How do I know about the world, what it's like, without words? And do, does every specific word have meaning? It does. So how do I know? It's what he accomplished on, on the cross. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, it says, Then God forbid that I should glory. Where's the only place that we would glory? Outside of Christ, where would we? It would be in the decrease. It would be in that fallen seed and that fallen head that we all inherited as a result of the flesh. That's what, that's what that is. And that's what's happened. So this is what makes it so very, very important for us. Okay, So when the teaching comes from the word and, and it's grace and truth, it's not that God is against us. He's for us in Christ. But does the decrease in the scriptures, is it dealt with in the scriptures? Yeah, it's dealt with, but graciously, not condemningly, not accusatorily. It's brought out beautifully in the scriptures. And that's the reality that of what God has for us. And this is what makes it necessary. Now, as a result of the fall, in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6, and we don't have time to get into it, what they, what they got was a conscience. That wasn't necessary when there was constant and instant obedience. But when they fell, they got a conscience. What does that mean? Well, how do we, outside of submitting to Christ, his person and his work and his word, being the very will of God, how do we determine good and evil? Remember what he said? He, the lie to, to Eve in Genesis, the third chapter, in those first six verses. You can be like God, knowing good and evil. But how would they know it? In a fallen, ruined state. They would determine good and evil in this way. How? Through a conscience. Now, for us in Christ... For us in Christ, this is what is ours and makes it so incredible. And boy, am I so thankful for it personally. Now here's Hebrews, the 10th chapter in the first verse. This is what it says. For the law, having a shadow of good things, is, does a shadow have substance? It doesn't. If you walk on a sunny day and you step on your shadow, does it hurt? The reason it doesn't is because it has no substance, okay? God never gave the law, those 10 commandments, with those 613 statutes and ordinances. He never gave it to one individual to fulfill a perfect righteousness. Christ did that in, in, in Romans 10, verse 4. So when it says that, for the law, having the shadow of good things to come, not, listen, look at what it says, not the very what? Image. That's who we truly are in him. Based upon the word. And words have meaning. Whether we believe it or not, whether we want to understand, the truth is they all have meaning. They all have meaning. And the reason we can say this is this. Long before an angel, Lucifer, who was the son of the morning, became Satan, adversary and opponent of God 
and as a result of man who God loves. Long before he fell, he had instant obedience. In Ezekiel 28, verse 15, he always obeyed till iniquity was found in him. That's what he passed on. Now, before he fell, before this host of angels fell, and he fell, and in Revelation 12 and verse 4, where it says the dragon's tail drew a third of the stars of heaven, when you study it out, he took a third of an innumerable host of angels. This is the demonic army, the invisible one that comes against us constantly, <laughs> telling us we can determine good and evil part from Jesus Christ. But the only way we can do it is in, in that flesh that in us, that's in us as believers, but we're not of in Romans 8, 9. Before that, there was only one will. The moment he disobeyed, instantly, another will was established. Now, God's will has, God's will is there's a force and an energy and a power. So you have will, force, and then function, or form, how to function properly. And so, when he fell, there became two wills now. That's it. That's why no man can serve two masters in Matthew 6 and verse 24. No man can. We can't. We cannot serve. We can't serve two heads. <laughs> you and I will see that in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. One is contrary to the other, so that you can't do the things that you would. When I function in Christ in, in obedience and understand these truths, I won't function in the flesh. But when I function in the flesh, I won't function and have a proper form or a proper image about who I am in Christ. These things are very, very serious. And they really, they really, these are foundational truths in Christianity. The book of Ephesians, the epistle of Ephesians goes into them. Again, we've said before, that's the height of the Christian position. That is our, the height of it. In Christ as a man, <laughs> our position. That position needs to be brought down into our experience. That's why we're here. Why not, why not the moment that we're saved, we don't go to heaven? No, the moment the baby's born, then what? That's it? No, no relationship? Is there growth in the relationship? Yes. That's why we're here. He's training us to have fellowship and rule and reign with him individually for all eternity. And do, to do so... In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, over the angels. He's training us. That's why, again, in 1 Peter 1, 12, the angels bend low and look into us. Our every day, every day, what are we doing? They bend low and look in. We're a theater. That's the Greek word, theatron. And it literally means we are a spectacle, where it says that in 1 Peter 1, 12. We're a spectacle. We are a, the university, the graduate school for the angels to understand their creator in a way they can't because Christ has made himself one with us. Wow, gosh, to understand these things. It's very humbling and very, very beautiful. That's why, yeah, to write a book. <laughs> I can't, God, I can't do it. Well, no, you can't, but I'll, I'll guide you. And, but in the way that I'll do it is I have to humble you because you won't make that adjustment from one head to another apart from grace. 
You can't make adjustments. I can't. None of us can. It doesn't matter what stage of growth we're in in 1 John 2, 12 to 14. Whether we're babes, young men, or spiritual dads, we need grace. But that's why humility and submission of the will is so extremely vital for all of us. And so again, we, the, we got a conscience as a result of the fall. Now, when I don't function in who I am in Christ in a proper image, I function in what? What kind of conscience? In Titus 1 verse 15, it says, to the pure, all things are what? Pure. Who's that? That's who we are in Christ. But to them that are unbelieving, right, even their conscience is what? Defiled. What do we have in that first seed of the woman, in that first head? What do we have? What did we get? A defiled conscience. But what do we have in Christ? Oh, boy. Boy, I need this this morning, I can tell you. This is Hebrews 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come. Now, for us to understand what it's saying here in Hebrews 10, verse 1, Okay, to, for us to fully understand it, and please remember, I'm, and, and, and again, in studying this, okay, and again, just remember what it says there in Hebrews 10, uh, verse 1, for the law having a shadow of good things. Remember, again, we said, when we walk in the sunlight, if we step on our shadow, does it hurt? No, there's, why? There's no substance. Now, to understand what that's teaching, it's not just teaching the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 23 to 17, and please remember, you know, like in James 2.10, it says, if you offend at one point, you, you're guilty of all. You break one part of it, you're guilty of all. That's why a little leaven leavens what? The whole lump. So there are 600 and at least 613 statutes and ordinances within those 10 Hebrew words, the 10 letters. <laughs> Try and keep up with that. It's it's. With man, it is what? Impossible. With God, in Matthew 19, 26, it is absolutely possible. Not only possible, but done. This is who we are in Christ. Makes it so incredible. So to understand what the law and the shadow of it is, and how many beautiful believers in Christ that love God in their capacity, and God loves them in their capacity, live in the shadows. A shadow means a Christian can live because they don't, they're not taught certain things. They can become very, very hard or very like, you know, and, and questions are great. Questions are, are beautiful if you're intreatable to understand and learn. But if they come from an antagonism or if they come from a threat, and some Christians are threatened. Listen, honestly, if you study it out, those that were in the Reformation period in that theology, when the growth truths were brought out, they became very threatened by it because they didn't know it. And they were threatened by it. And that became, and they would ask antagonistic questions. Who knows anything? Who's the only one that's sufficient? Are we sufficient to know these things in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 16 by ourselves? We are not. None of us can do anything. But again, the shadow here is brought out, that the law having only a shadow. For the believer, this is what it's teaching here. This is Romans 8 verse 1. 
There is therefore now. When it says there is therefore now, you have to go back. You go back to Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 5, 6, and 7, because there is a, an amount of growth experientially about the position in Christ, even long before you get to Romans 8, verse 1. But here it is. For us, there is therefore what? When? What is the now? It's an eternal reality. It's an eternal fact. There is therefore now what? No condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Now where, what would, where would the guilt and the condemnation come from? The conscience. That's where it comes from. And then I tried to determine good and evil. That's brought out in Romans chapter 2 and verses 14 and 15. But it still doesn't suffice. If I don't understand the reality of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, I will live experientially in a defiled conscience. But is it true about my position in Christ? It's not. This is where words, I am telling you, words, I don't care what form they come in. They could come in music. They could come in conversation. It doesn't matter. They are chock full of meaning, thought force, looking for a place or a vessel to function in and through. <clears throat> now, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. If you see to them that walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, it's not in any original Greek manuscript. You can cross it out. I cross it out in every translation that I find. It doesn't belong there because, listen, positionally, whether I function in the flesh as a believer, and that's a choice, it could be ignorant or rebellious, but whether I function in it or not, how does God see me? He sees me positioned in his son with even what I'm functioning in as sin and disobedience already dealt with. It doesn't touch my position. It touches my experiential fellowship and communion with him. That's what it touches. So it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Why? Look at what it says. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. What is the law of the Holy Spirit? What is he constantly doing right now? Remember Christ is in heaven? The Holy Spirit is on the earth and he comforts us? How does he comfort us? He comforts us by taking the things of Christ in John 16, 13 and 14, and showing them unto us constantly. But can he show them unto me if I function in the fallen seed and under a wrong head? Can he? He can't. He cannot fellowship with sin, even though he doesn't see us after it. That's why the enemy goes after the experience. That's why he hates positional truth, experiential growth truths, proper image, it's so key for all of us, and for all of us. So when it says in Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, who we are in a proper image, has, that's past tense, by the way, made, uh, made me free from what? The law of sin and death. I don't know. I don't know. Does the law make me sin? No, it just brings it out. It's, it brings out what? 
any substance, just an, just a shadow. That's what it brings out. And we can see that again, you, you see here, is what? Makes me free from the law of sin and death. Right? This is vital to having a cleansed conscience that we have in Christ. That's why when it says in Titus 1.15, to the pure, all things are pure. Now that's positional truth, but if I don't experience the purity of that, what am I functioning in? What's my only other option? You can't function in two heads. There's Adam, who I was and all this failure, and who I am in Christ. That's the flesh that's in us in Romans 8, 9 that we're not of. We need to really, and how often do we need to have these things reestablished constantly? <laughs> it's true. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, see, the law couldn't do it. Performance couldn't do it. Covenant theology can't do it. Lordship salvation cannot do it. For what, and that's why again we teach, I am not trying to live the Christian life. It's not hard, it's impossible, because Christ is my life. We died in Colossians 3.3, and our life is hidden with Christ in God. For when he appears, for Christ who is our life, in Colossians 3, verse 4, he is our life. We're not trying, we're just receiving. That's why the Holy Spirit's here. That's why he takes the things of Christ and constantly shows them unto us. Now, he'll show me, and it's, this is what makes it so important to understand the function of the Holy Spirit. One of the functions, he sealed us in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Yeah, he regenerated us in Titus 3, verse 5. He takes the things of Christ in John 16, 13, and he shows them unto us. But that's what makes it so important why he's here right now. Christ is in heaven interceding for us, and it's all based upon who we are and our position in him. And that's what the Holy Spirit does on the earth. And that's why we need two comforters. <laughs> and we have them in John 14, 16 and 17. We have the Holy Spirit in us that he promised would be in them. In John 14, verse 17. And this is what makes it important with the preponderance of all these scriptures. Because otherwise, we're just telling stories. Listen. For what the law could not do, and that it was what? Weak through the flesh. What did the law do? What did the law do? Here's what the law did. When it says in Romans 8, 3, for what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh. To understand Romans 8, 3, we go back to Romans chapter 7, verse 12. Here. Here's 7, verse 12 of Romans. Wherefore the law is what? Holy. And the commandment holy, just, and good. So there's justice and there's goodness and there's holiness involved in the law. Did Christ do even much more than that? Well, of course he did. And that's our position in him. But here's the fact. Then, verse 13, was then that which is good made death unto me? Did, did the goodness of the law cause the death in me? Hmm. God forbid. But sin, sin, does it say sins or sin? Sin, this is nature, okay? If I live in my sin nature and I don't, and I, there's not a way out of it experientially, what do I do? I live in what? Sins, 
but sin that it might appear sin. In other words, the, the original is saying, listen, God is, this is sin nature, okay? So even before, if you live in your sin nature, even before you do anything, this is, the, this is what it is. Working death in me <laughs> by that which is good. That sin, by the commandment, might become what? Exceeding what? Sinful. What's that? That's nature. Before we do a thing. And we need to understand these truths positionally. And if I don't understand the positional, foundational growth truths, primary security, significance as a result of it, what are we functioning? If I don't know these things and they're new to me and I'm not intreatable, they become a source of a threat to me. They cause my questions to be antagonistic instead of just being intreatable. Because listen, who does God give grace to? You know what? And, we've, and, and the Word teaches this and we've taught it as, as best as we can in growing in it ourselves. God's plan for the believer is designed to do one thing. It's to humble them. <laughs> we need to know, and, and that's what makes it necessary for the Holy Spirit. Because it's only God, the Holy Spirit, right, God. Is there any condemnation when he speaks to us and uses the word? None. He's God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all had a part in our salvation. There's no question about it. They're all one. You can't separate God. Three distinct separate individuals, one in essence. And so this makes it very important to understand that the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the Word, through the Word, is, is can only, He's the only one that can show us what we're like when we function under that first head or in a sin nature without condemning us. <laughs> but he has to show us that. That's part of the teaching. That's part of being admonished, to put sense into our heads, our right proper image, to caution, to reprove. And do I like to be reproved? Does any of us like to be reproved when we're in the flesh? Does any of us like to be told what to do when we're in the flesh? Do we want to learn anything new when we function in the flesh? We just don't. We don't think we need anything. Now that's part of the deception in Revelations 12, verse 9. Satan deceives the whole world. When I don't function in who I am in Christ, who do I function in and under? Because where did the first seed of the first woman come from? And where did Adam, the fallen ruined man, come from as a head? Gee. These truths, man, when we, when we don't have all of this, have these when I don't have them, oh boy. But thank God we have the Holy Spirit who convicts us. He guides us through conviction. He convicts the whole world, those that function. And can he convict us when we function in it? In John 16, 8 to 11, yes. Because he has to convict, convict us. And remember what conviction is. Conviction is God confirming his love to us so that we won't, as believers, live in the condemnation of the world system under the, under the prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2.2. 2. He convicts us so we won't be condemned. That's 1 Corinthians 11, 
31 and 32. If you want to know where I get the preaching and how do all these things make sense, well, they only do with the Word. <laughs> if you want evidence, you have to have preponderance of that evidence to come to a, a, a right conclusion and function in, in and under a right image and under a right head. <clears throat> so, again, we need to know these things. We need to know them. All of us do. So, the Holy Spirit has to convict, and he convicts us, right? And if he convicts us, and we say, oh, oh my God, that's it? I, I tell you how many times I do that up there. That, that's me? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay, what now? If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forget and to experience. We have positional forgiveness, by the way. That's established in Ephesians 4, verse 32. But now, how about experientially? If I'm living in something, does it affect my fellowship? So in 1 John 1, 9, I confess it. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've gone into that and what that means, and that's... Uh, uh, pretty awesome truth right there. But again, he can. So when he does that, convicts us so that we can make a change of mind, repent, metanoia. If when we do that, then he can continue to take the things of Christ in John 16, 13 to 14 and show them unto us. It says the Holy Spirit even. In that, in those two verses in John 16, 13, 14, he doesn't even speak of himself. He takes the things of Christ and shows them unto us. Oh, it's so amazing. He shows us who we are in a proper image. So in Romans 8, 3, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own uniquely, one-of-a-kind begotten son. In the, and here's where it says the likeness when it's his likeness there, he had a human nature. He never had a sin nature. He was never tempted to sin like you and I. Okay? His, sin, his, his human nature was impeccable. Luke 1 verse 35 brings it out clearly in the original. Hebrews 4 verse 15. We have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points not tempted to sin, tested. <laughs> tested. Tested. And then it says, apart from sin. He never had a sin nature. We need to know the difference between sin and sins. <laughs> nature and what it does. And if I don't understand those things, I don't have a proper interpretation. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us. To condemn us? Never. There isn't any in Christ, because he takes the things of Christ and shows them unto us. But so, God sending his own Son in the likeness of, of sinful flesh... And for sin, when it says for sin, the original is for a sin sacrifice, okay? He was the sin sacrifice for sin, but to have those sins put on him required a perfect, spotless lamb in Leviticus, the first chapter, in the fourth verse, and in the type in Numbers 19. And verse 2, he had to be spotless. And that's why you and I, in him, in our position, are what? 
spotless and blameless. <laughs> Boy, it's incredible. I, I got to have it constantly. And so for that, here's verse four, that the righteousness of the law might be what? Fulfilled in us. How is it fulfilled in us experientially? By having the word fully preached and taught. I love the scriptures as I continue to grow in them. You know, it says in Colossians 2 and verse 9, and, and those are beautiful truths as we begin to wrap this up. And again, I said this would be a bit of a synopsis, I, I believe, about what God has for us. But when I see these scriptures and understand them, and I can only do so with a submitted will, I have to be humbled. I need to be yoked up to Jesus for the Holy Spirit to take a single thing and show it unto me. All of us do. We'll never come to the end of knowing these truths. Never. In Ephesians 3 and verse 19, we never come to the end of the knowledge of his love for us. And that's experiential for us in Christ. But you know, in Colossians 2 verse 9, this is what it says in the King James. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What this says in the original, let me tell you what it says in the original. This is what it says. The whole time that Christ, in his perfect humanity, walked the face of the earth, he was filled up with all that God is. What did you think about that? He was. Now, Colossians 2.10 says this, and you are complete in him. Listen, you know what it says in the original? And as a result of you being in him, you are filled up with all of them. Oh my God, who do we have for us? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now look what it goes to. And you are filled up in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Do you understand what this is saying? When you and I function in him properly and have a proper experience based upon our position, our proper image, and our proper, pla proper place, not only here on the earth, but for all eternity, and when I function unto him, when I'm submitted to him, when I'm humble in James 4, 6, and he gives me that grace adjustment, and I submit to him in James 4, 7, what does the devil do? He flees. All principality and power can't touch us. He can't not, listen, as we close, he cannot touch our position in Christ. He can't touch relationship. That has been established. What does he go after? The experience. How does he go after me? He gets me to function where? In the flesh. Through what? In John 8, 44, lies. Through what? His methodia in, in Ephesians 6, 11. Listen, honestly, in all our relationships, and this is a tough one to understand, not so tough when we submit to him. The Bible makes it crystal clear. In Ephesians 6, 12, and in this place, we are we his church, his bride and his body, are we? In Ephesians, he is dealing with Christians in the height of their position. And when it says in Ephesians 6, 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Did you know that in every relationship that is believers that we have with each other, it's not about blood and flesh because that's what the original says. Because where did the first seed come through? For, through the blood that was passed on, that old sin nature in Romans 5, 12. Do we wrestle against flesh and blood? If I have an issue with you, has it been already solved by Christ? Has it? 
But if I don't function properly in it and I don't know the truth about it or don't follow the truth that I know, what happens? I make it what? Flesh and blood. That's what I do. I make it flesh and blood. But the Bible makes it clear in our position in Christ. What, I don't care what we experience, we are not wrestling against blood and flesh, but against principalities and powers. This brutal darkness, wickedness in the heights. That's what we wrestle against. And that's what makes necessary the teaching of the word. The teaching of this word on a, on a very consistent basis. Because in 2 Corinthians 10.4, the weapons of our warfare are not what? Carnal. What's that mean? They're not of that fallen nature. They're not of the first seed of the woman. They are not of the first head of the woman, Adam. They're not. In his whole line, it's, they're not. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Now, when it says carnal, you know what it's saying there? The two epistles of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, okay, they deal with three people groups. Natural, unsaved, on their way to hell as much as that's not, <laughs> that's not taught. <laughs> there is no hell. Or if there is, eventually you'll get out of it, universalism. <laughs> or the other end, and they both go together, annihilationism. Okay, but the fact of the matter is, there's natural, this is what the book of, of Corinthians, the two epistles go to, natural, carnal, and those that are in Christ. Carnal there, carnal in that sense, is the Christian functioning under the wrong head, in the wrong head, not Christ. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Listen to that. I'm, I'm listening. When I say listen, I'm listening. Yes, Lord. I'm listening to you. Thank you, Lord. I'm not contending with you. I'm not. I just want to receive and want to learn. And, and my questions aren't based upon antagonism or comparison or any of those things. It's just I just want to receive. And so the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But, and there's that, but it is a, is a contrasting conjunction. Okay, the contrast, see? Carnal, who you are in Christ. Then the contrast, and then the conjunction separates the two. That's John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Listen, I want to hear everything about the increase that I have in Christ. But don't you, I don't want to hear about the decrease then I only know these things in the flesh. And in some form, they, what will the enemy do to the believer who lives that way? End up condemning them and causing them to be guilty. That can happen to any of us at any time. That's why we need to keep that shield up in Ephesians 6.16 from those fiery missiles from hell. So as we close, 2 Corinthians 10.4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty Dunamis, explosive, dynamite, they're explosive. They're powerful through God. For what? To the pulling down of what? Strongholds, areas of ignorance or stubbornness of pride and rebellion. And you can see that God doesn't care about sacrifices in 1 Samuel 15, 22. He only cares about one. Okay? Because when we function in the wrong head, what do we function in? Rebellion and stubbornness in 1 Samuel 15, verse 23. So casting down what? Imagination. What's that? 
wrong images, false images, not who we are in Christ. No, not who we are in Christ. Casting down imaginations and every high thing, right? What's the height of our position? It's in Christ. Where is all the interference coming from and coming against the truth of that position? The truth of our position is awesome, but it, but it opens us to all this furious antagonism and hatred of the atmosphere. That's what it's teaching. Casting down imaginations and every high thing, hoopsama, that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. What does the knowledge of God have to do with who we are in Christ? It is a love in Ephesians 3.19 that it passes knowledge. Oh, I, boy, do I have some love waiting for you. Oh, you thought you were at the end. Oh, no. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. It just keeps going. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Listen, and having in a readiness to revenge all your disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Who fulfilled all our obedience? Who dealt with it all? Jesus did conscience, and we'll, we'll leave off with that, but we're going to get into conscience. Conscience, Hebrews, the 10th chapter, read that. Read Titus 1, verse 15, and, and read conscience, and you'll see these truths, and God will get us ready, uh, and he can even give it to us now. Why do you think he's given, he gives us the chapters and the verses? Because you know what? They're ours in him. We can look them up and say, oh my God, but if I don't know, know them or even know where they are, then what? We have so much in Christ. We have so much to be thankful for. And I want to tell you, I am thankful with you folks that I get to to learn and grow and receive portions together in Christ. As we all, every single time that two or three gather in his name, which has to do with his nature, he's there, right there. That's what I desire. I desire it with everyone. And do we fail? Yes. Do I fail? Yes, but thank God that none of us are our failures. None of us are. Thank you, Lord. So, Father, thank you for this truth. Thank you so much for your loving admonition, your loving exhortation. And thank you, Lord, O oh Lord, and my prayer is for myself, that in Ephesians 4, verse 29, to let no corrupt communication proceed out of my mouth, but that which is good, from you to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers, because otherwise, if we don't, it grieves the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4.30, it grieves him. He has to stop showing us who we are in Christ, because he can't any longer, until the loving chastisement has accomplished its, its, its proper work to bring us back to a place where we again can function in a proper image. Lord, thank you so much for this truth. In Jesus' name, amen.